Hebrews chapter 13. But Sunday night we get into the Word and try to study it verse by verse. And so I'm looking at verse 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. If God could die... And he died Thursday. How long would it take before you found out? I mean, how near are you to God? If there is a place of quiet rest near the heart of God, do you know that place of rest? And if that place is the place of prayer, how's your prayer life? Do you pray? Is your prayer life just a matter of reciting words kind of in a formal way? 1978, TWA airliner was approaching Kennedy International Airport to, for an emergency landing. And so they circled the field to um, expend all of the excess fuel before they approached. They couldn't deploy their landing gear. And... As they made their final um, approach, the people, the passengers had already been told to put their head down between their knees and get cushions and brace themselves. The, the, the pilot came on in a very cold and stern and formal way, he said. Ladies and gentlemen, we are making our final approach, and I must advise you in, in accordance with the Geneva Convention that if you believe in God, you can commence praying. Well, that is a pretty formal kind of thing, I would imagine. But you know, it's better than indifference. It's better than never praying at all, I guess, formal praying. The author of the book of Hebrews was neither indifferent nor formal with God. As a matter of fact, the very first word of his book begins with his name, God. And he says that God has spoken in times past and God speaks today. He's saying that God is relevant to human life, that God has invaded history at human level. And God is relevant for man's need. Uh, Some students were asked one time, do you believe that God understands nuclear physics? 64% of them said no. God is totally irrelevant to most folk today. But the author of the book of Hebrews said God is is relevant to man's need and He has spoken and speaks. He's a self-revealing God who makes Himself known in His will. In the first two chapters, He deals with that. In chapter 3, He comes with a warning that man not drift from God. God doesn't move. But man drifts from God and He allows this distance to come between himself and God. And he warns us about that distance that oftentimes happens between man and God. In chapter 4, he calls man to draw near to God. In chapters 5 through 9, he talks about the Lord, this great pontifex, this bridge builder, what's what the word priest means, pontifex. 
And he talks about this God who has built a bridge between man and God. And that bridge is spanned by the cross. And, and Jesus covers the expanse of the two extremes. And Jesus, the great bridge builder, brings man and God together. And he talks about the priesthood of Jesus, superior to the priesthood of Moses and Aaron. In chapter 10, he talks about the, because now Jesus is the great high priest, that once and for all, man can have a personal relationship with God. He can know Him personally. He can pray to Him. He can find this place of quiet rest near to His heart. In chapter 11, he gives us this roll call, the witness, the testimony of the people of faith. In chapter 12, he says that you and I can live the same kind of life, the same victorious life of faith, that these people are not superheroes that are not like us. They're just like us. So each one of us can live the same victorious life of faith. And then in chapter 13, is a, there's a, just this hodgepodge of all this information that's both practical and personal that he kind of throws in here at the end. And he comes to the benediction in verse 20. Now a benediction is a call for the blessing of God at the conclusion of worship. It's kind of a, kind of a farewell. And there are several benedictions that are woven into Scripture. Now, we got a little extra time, and I, I just want to show you three of them. So we'll do a little Bible practice here, a little Bible drill. If you, with your Bible in hand, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 6. I want to show you where these benedictions that you hear all the time are found. The first is found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. Numbers is an Old Testament book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. That's the way you can find it pretty easy. Verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. And I see some of you just kind of saying, that's where that comes from. You've heard that a lot of times. The second benediction I want you to look at is the last two verses of, or the last verse of Psalm 19. So turn to that, would you please? Psalm 19. Now this is a benediction that I usually um, say or give at the end of the early worship service. And it's found in Psalm 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, you want to say it with Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, look over at the little epistle of Jude. Now, you wonder where that is. It's the next book to the Revelation. So you're going to find that over in the New Testament. Next to Revelation, the book of Jude. And there's one chapter, so the last two verses of that chapter. I love this benediction. Now, remember that the invocation is the invoking of the blessing of God upon worship. The benediction is the invocation or the invoking of the blessing on, of God upon you when you leave. And so that's what makes this passage in Hebrews so dynamic is because he's leaving this study and he's saying farewell and this is what he's praying God to do, to bless, how he's praying God to bless them. All right, now, just at this in, in Jude. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Benediction. Now, this benediction in the book of Hebrews is where we're going to spend some time to study. And, and, and so, let me just read it again, because you might have forgotten it or didn't get it the first time. Now, the God of peace brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He's the God of peace. Now the invoking or the benediction is that man will discover the peace of that is God's nature. That is, that he will know the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Remember that these words are written or these words are addressed to men who are suffering because they have chosen to follow the way. A father who's lost his job because he's chosen to follow the way, whose children are mocked and rejected because their father has chosen the God of the way. And he's saying, may the God of peace, he's the God of peace, paraphrase that with me, he's the God of mental health. He is the God who intends life to be lived on a peaceful level. Now what does this word peace mean? It means the inner assurance that everything is under control. It is the inner assurance that God has everything under His peaceful control. I tell you, that's worth more than money. It's worth more than having a job. If a man has this inner confidence that God has everything under His peaceful control, he's got everything he needs. Ted March reminds us that there are a lot of things money can't buy. Money can buy books but not brains, bed but not sleep, finery but not beauty, food but not an appetite, a house but not a home, medicine but not health, luxuries but not love, amusement but not happiness, a crucifix but not a savior. He's the only one who can make the heart peaceful. The counterpart word in the Hebrew is the word shalom, and the root word of that word, the root of that means completeness and wholeness. Now this is his prayer that man will know this inner confidence that makes life whole and complete. His nature is that of peace. But he's not only the God of peace, he's the God of power. He raised Jesus from the dead, he said. He's a God of power. Now there are two kinds of power that the Bible understands or, or knows. There is human power, that power which is in man's resource and within man's ability, and then there is God's kind of power, divine power. And divine power is the power by which God relates to his world. And everywhere, when it refers to in the scripture to man, appropriating power refers to God's power. In other words, the scripture says that man has available to his need the very power by which God deals with life. And that power is defined or illustrated in the might that raised Jesus from the dead. So that within man's potential 
is the power of God exercised, the might of God that was exercised in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Down deep in the heart of man is the power that raised Jesus. Now, I don't know what you want to know. It's what I want to know. If that power is available to man and that peace is available to man, why is man so anxious and impotent? Why is it that if that peace comes with God because it is his nature and that power is available, why is it that man is so weak and anxious? Well, the answer is implied in the next phrase, the shepherd of the sheep. What it suggests is the reason why man is so impotent and anxious is because he's like sheep. Now, most of us never been around sheep much. Our concept of what a sheep is like, we get from nursery rhymes, you know, little Bo Peep and lost her sheep, don't know where to find them, leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. So our concept of sheep is this, it's just this lily white animal that's just so responsive and obedient, it just follows Mary around. And, it, and, and if you leave it alone, it's going to come home because it's just kind of hones in in its obedience. It's not what sheep are like. They're not lily white. You probably smell them before you'll see them. You know. And if you leave them alone, they won't come home. As a matter of fact, sheep have a tendency, an affinity to, to, to stray, to get lost. And they're defenseless, they're helpless. They can't even run fast, and they're stupid. You won't see any of them in a circus, in a trained animal act, because they're dumb and stupid, and they have tunnel vision. They can see only what lies directly in front of them with these little beady eyes, you see. And the reason why man is anxious and impotent is because he's just like that. He has a propensity to disobedience. He has an inclination to stray. That's why the book of Hebrews was written. And he has tunnel vision so that all he sees is directly in front of him and he's anxious all the time and fretful and worried. And he's defenseless and helpless. And so he's impotent and anxious because he's like he has a sheep mentality. And knowing that God said, I'm going to make you a promise. Now watch this. He said, I'm going to make you a promise that is twofold. I'm going to seal it with my blood. He said, I'm going to, look in verse 20, I'm going to equip you in every good thing to do my will. And I'm going to work into you what is pleasing in my sight. I tell you, it's the greatest encouragement you can find in Scripture. Let me get it again. I make you this promise, God said. I'm going to equip you to do my will. And I'm going to work into you, into your life, that which pleases me. Now, let me tell you what that says. That says that whatever God commands us to do, that is at the same time His promise that we can. You need to say it again. You need to write that down. It's a principle of life. That whatever is the will of God for you to do, whatever He commands you to do, at the same time, His command is the promise that you can do it. 
You remember when Jesus was walking around on earth and he, he saw this man who had been lying by the pool at Bethesda for 38 years and he came up to him and this is what he said. Here's a guy that had been crippled, helpless. He'd been an invalid for 38 years and he walked up to him to Jesus and say, take up your bed and walk. He, do, he told him to do the very thing he couldn't do. And he saw a man in the temple one Sabbath day and, he, and his hand was withered. He, he, he had a withered hand and Jesus looked at him and said, stretch out your hand. He told him to do the very thing he couldn't do. That's just exactly what Jesus does. He tells you to do what you cannot do because he said to do it. Now, if you could do what you want to do, that would be the exercise of human strength. He tells you and I to do what we know we can't do, but we do because he tells us to do it. For whatever he commands us to do, that is at the same time his promise that you can. So if God tells you to tithe, you know you can't, you do it because he told you to. If God tells you to witness, you say, I can't witness. I just can't do that. I just clam up. I freeze. I can't talk. If God tells you to witness, that's the promise that you can. If God tells you to love that unlovely person and forgive that person who has hurt you, if that's God's will and he commands you to do it, you do what you can't do, what he tells you to. You know what I think about when I... When I hear this, I think of Philippians 4.13. Would you turn to that passage? That's something you're familiar with. Philippians 4.13. I don't want you to turn to that. We're going to look at two verses there. Philippians 4, beginning of verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of, both of having abundance and suffering need. Say it with me. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now it says four things. And I want to spend a little time there. It says that... If God gives us the command, it is His promise that we can do it. There is power that He makes available that we can do it. Four things. The sufficiency of this power is competent. I can do all things. Now, He's not talking about, you know, running faster than a bullet or jumping or leaping over tall buildings, you know. I've, I've, I've heard people say when He said we can do all things, it means that there was a guy telling me this week, he said, if, if, if the Lord tells me to reach down and pick up, a, pick up this building, I could do it. Well, that's not what that's talking about. It's, it's the all things of the will of God. It's the all things of the will of God. And he said, this sufficiency is competent. That means that you can do everything that pertains to God's will for your life. You can do it. How that contrasts with all this, I can't, I can't witness, I can't tithe, I can't teach, 
I can't love, I can't forgive. That's, you know, we, we over, Paul said, I can do all things. His sufficiency is confident. Now, I need somebody, I'm going to do something tonight that I've never done before, but I need somebody to help me with an illustration. So, Tracy, would you, would you mind coming here a bit, please? You, you've been before crowds, so you're not going to be embarrassed. Now, what we got to do here to make this thing work, Tracy, is that you, you, we've got to, we, you know, we got to operate on the basis of trust. Okay, do you trust me? Okay. So that if I told you something, you'd, you'd trust it to be true. Okay. So we got a, a level of trust and understanding. Now I'm going to tell you something, and you've promised me that that um, that if I said it, then you'd trust me to believe it's true, right? Okay. Now if I ask you to give me something. I wouldn't ask you to give me something if I didn't know you could. Okay, you believe that? Okay, so I'm going to ask you. When I leave tonight, I'm going to take my family, we're going to stop and eat. I'd like to have a $20 bill. <laughs> Would you give me a $20 bill, please? <laughs> oh, you know. Okay, now now this thing's breaking down here. I, I... I, we, we, had a, we had a mutual understanding of trust that I would not ask you something that I didn't know you could do. Okay, you believe that. Okay, so I'm going to ask you one more time. Would you give me a $20 bill? Okay. Now, would you give me a $20 bill? Okay, thanks. Okay. Now, I want you to see that illustration. Could you see that? And I was hoping she didn't have a $20 bill when she... I looked to see if she had a purse before I ever started. Now, now here's, here's my point. If the Lord, if you trust the Lord, and His promise is that you can do all things of His will, He's not going to ask you to do something that He's not going to give you the ability to do. Why are you afraid of His will? Why are you afraid of what God asks of you? Because if he asks you that, his sufficiency of power is competent and he's going to make the resource available to do it. So we ought to rejoice whenever the challenge comes. See, When God comes to you tomorrow, comes to you tonight, and he, and he just kind of approaches you and he says to you something, I can't do that. Get up and walk and you've never walked. Stretch out your hand and you've never stretched it out. He tells you that you ought, to, you ought to rejoice because you know he's about to make available to you a power to do something you've never done before. His power, the sufficiency of power, his power is competent. The sufficiency of his power is compatible. That means that it's compatible to your daily need. Now, most of the time when we talk about the power of God, we talk about preaching, you know, or, or miracles or things that go on, you know. And so, yeah, God gives Billy Graham power to preach. And I've heard people talk about all the great power that Billy Graham has. Not real great sermons, just stands up and preaches. Thousands of people come and we talk about that power. Let me tell you about the power that's available for you tomorrow. When you go out about that housework and the daily grind and the mundane, mundane responsibilities and caring for your children and taking care of responsibilities at school, etc., etc., this power is compatible. It's not a power that does not relate to you. It relates to every need you have. The sufficiency of this power is compatible. The source of this power is Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The supply of this power is continual. Continual. 
It's in the linear action in the Greek verb. It means that he just keeps on pouring his power into me. And it's in it's, it's, it's exhausting. Now that's what he means when he says in Hebrews chapter 13, I pray that God will equip you in everything to do his will. There's one other thing there he says in Hebrews chapter 13. Look at that. He says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now, if you want to find a parallel verse to that, you turn back to Philippians chapter 2. Now, let's read verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. You worried about God's will that you can't do it? You worried about God making demands upon your life that you can't do? Look at here. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But don't miss the next verse. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now what he's saying is this, that God gives both the want and the way. He gives both the desire and the doing. Your outworking is simply matched by His inworking. While it is your responsibility to work out the salvation, it is not your resource that's working out. He's working in what He wants you to work out. So that He gives you the desire to please and the dynamic by which the desire is realized. It's a marvelous promise that He gives you both the desire and the dynamic. So he works in you what he wants out of you. Somebody says, well, I, I'd like to follow the Lord, but I just don't believe I could do it. It's not up to you. He gives not only the ability, but he gives you the desire. <laughs> what else can he do? And what is the bottom line and the ultimate result? The bottom line and the ultimate result is to God belongs the glory. Now we'll say three things at the end, some concluding thoughts. Regarding our God, regarding our God, God cannot die, so stop worrying. I mean, He's not going to lose any. He's not going to abdicate His throne. He's not going to die, so stop worrying. Regarding His will, we cannot fulfill His will, so stop trying. What I mean by that is stop, stop trying in your strength to fulfill His will. Let Him work it in and work it out. With regard to, to the glory, the glory cannot be shared, so start, stop striving for it. The glory belongs to God. Let's pray together. Father, we know we believe in our minds with our head that this word is true. Help us to believe it with our heart. 
Help us to believe that you're going to work in us the desire to please you. And you're going to work out of us with a resource that's sufficient, everything you want to please you. And that living the Christian life is a matter of just trustful surrender. And that the God of peace, the God of power, is the God who stands ready to meet our need. Lord, I pray that we'll be able to trust you tonight with our lives. I pray for this moment and this time of decision that you'll decide, you'll cause us to decide to follow you in total obedience because I pray in Jesus' name. There's some of you tonight might like to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. It's a decision you have to make and that decision is the decision that, that the Lord desires from you if you've lost. He wants you to come and just let Him work in you, the desire to follow Him, the ability to do it. There may be some who want to come tonight to rededicate themselves to Christ or maybe to join the church. I think sometime I've talked with my own son who was away in the, at the university, Baylor University, about... Uh, you know, being a part of the local church where he's where he is, and, and sometimes we we question the importance, you know, of church membership. It is important to be a part of the fellowship where you are and have that witness, that strength of a family. And so maybe you'd like to come tonight and place your life in the church. Would you do it while we stand? We'll sing a stanza or two. We invite you to come.